Hello and welcome to Hope Online. However you're joining us, we're glad you're here. My name's Jonathan and I'm speaking today at the end of a short series on the Bible book of Lamentations, which raises big questions. And our subject today is Heaven's Answer. In the dark days of wartime Britain in 1940 and 1941, the bombing or the blitz as it was known was at its height. The East End of London and many other cities in the country burned night after night. King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the parents of our current Queen, visited regularly to see for themselves the damage and to meet the people. They took an interest in what was going to happen to those whose homes had been destroyed. They visited factories to increase morale. The figures show that production always went up after they had been. These gestures of solidarity really meant something. Not much has changed in our expectations. Fast forward to only this March, when the north of England suffered terrible flooding. Remember the uproar in the media as to when and whether Prime Minister Boris Johnson should have visited them? We seem to have a built-in expectation that those in charge will turn up when we're in trouble, even if they can do little or nothing about our situation. And it even plays out in our parenting, I think. I'm sure that, like me, you've run to throw your arms around your kids when they're distressed, and you instinctively say something to them, it's okay, I'm here, I'm here. No explanation, just reassurance, whether or not our presence ensures a good outcome or not. When we're in trouble, we don't want to feel alone or abandoned. Presence is important. I think this helps explain something from our look at the Bible book of Lamentations. In Lamentations, which makes harrowing reading, the questions which constantly emerge for God are, can't you see what's happening? Look, God, where are you, God, and, and why? And although Lamentations is in the Bible, to help us to process and to reach out to God in the middle of the sometimes terrible events of this broken world, it doesn't come up with neat answers or simple explanations. And neither does the rest of the Bible. There is no FAQ sheet with answers. But within the Bible, there is a bigger story, a response from heaven itself. And maybe my response as a father to my children is a clue to the sort of response we might expect from our Heavenly Father, a good and a perfect Father. But before we explore Heaven's answer, let me just say that I'm not knocking those who are seeking answers to the question of pain and suffering in this world. Lots of great Christian thinkers and others have tried to provide help and explanations for our experience over the centuries. And if you're listening today, and that is a, a barrier to putting your trust in Jesus, an obstacle to your faith, then I would encourage you to keep seeking answers. Jesus says, if you seek and keep on seeking, you will find. But what I would also say is that from the accounts of people in the Bible, like Job 
and also my own experience of guests who've been exploring the Christian faith on Alpha, people's questions often take a back seat when they encounter God in some way, when God makes his presence real to them. And besides all that, you can always bring your questions along on your journey of faith. Presence and encounter make all the difference. But we need to have something solid to hold on to when perhaps our sense of God's presence has gone, when it feels like God's not there anymore. We need something that is constant and unchanging, a reference point, something rock-like that we can trust and hold on to by faith. And that is why the bigger story of the Bible is about a God who hears our cries of anguish and who responds himself, who responds in person, who responds in the person of Jesus. Jesus came, not Christmas. And that's when we usually think about Jesus coming to the world. But the very fact that God stepped into our world is both significant and mind-blowing. How does the writer of the play become a character in it? How does the immortal God take on the form of mortal man? God doesn't just speak from heaven, he comes down from heaven. He's not sitting in heaven looking on, he's stepping out of heaven, stepping out, if you like, of his comfort zone to get involved. Jesus came at a point in time, the Bible says the right time, to make a difference for all time. He came at a point in history so that we would have a factual historic basis for our faith. Very few, including scholars who are not Christians, would dispute that Jesus lived and walked the earth. The Bible puts it like this in John's account of Jesus. So the word, that's John's name for Jesus, the word became human and made his home among us. This is heaven invading earth. This is the rightful king coming and bringing his kingdom. And yet he chose to come not as an awesome conquering king, but as a vulnerable baby. Jesus was not afraid to get involved. He didn't arrive with the full personal protective equipment that we've become used to seeing today. Jesus was unprotected but he touched lepers and they didn't give him leprosy. He gave them healing. Jesus was unprotected, but he touched dead people. And instead of becoming ritually unclean, they came to life. Jesus was not afraid to come to a world that was infected by something much, much worse than the horrors of coronavirus that we're seeing now. A world infected and broken by sin, by our broken relationships with God who made us and the effects it's had on everything. It's a disease, the Bible tells us, with no cure and a 100% mortality rate. And yet Jesus lived among us unprotected and he touched us because he came with a cure. 
He himself is the cure. Jesus lived and died. You see, God doesn't just sympathise with our predicament. He empathises. What does that mean? Well, there's an old saying that before we judge or throw a stone at someone, we should take the time to walk a mile in their shoes. You've probably heard it. As Harper Lee puts it in a classic novel, you'll never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb inside of his skin and walk around in it. And when Jesus came, that's exactly what God was doing, climbing inside of our skin and walking around in it. Jesus experienced our lives, shared our pains, griefs, trials and temptations, yet without sin. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote about the Messiah to come. He's writing about Jesus. We're going to read from chapter 53 in a moment. But before we do, it's worth pointing out that the parallels between this passage and Lamentations chapter 3 are huge. The description of the strong man's sufferings in Lamentations 3 irresistibly point us to the cross and to Jesus. Check it out. The parallels are too telling to be ignored. So here is Isaiah's description of the Messiah that would come of Jesus. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off. From the land of the living he was struck because of my people's rebellion he was assigned a grave with the wicked but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully yet the lord was pleased to crush him severely unlike the queen and boris jesus didn't just drop in and pop off the nearest the Queen came to this was that she felt she could look the East Enders in the eye once the palace had been bombed. But she really wasn't homeless. But Jesus came to share our lives, yet without sinning. He experienced real life 
and real death, our life and our death. Let me retell his story. See if it rings a few more bells with you. See whether it describes something that you'd recognise in our broken world. Jesus was born into poverty in a stinking stable. He was born with a stigma of illegitimacy hanging over him. That's how rumours start. He experienced fleeing from a murdering tyrant and being a refugee in a foreign land. He experienced growing up in a small town in an unfashionable north of Israel. He experienced having parents who loved him but didn't really understand him. Being misunderstood by many, including his family, who thought he was mad at one point. Being accused of being a drunkard and a party animal, being seen with all the wrong people. Being the subject of an orchestrated hate campaign and bullying from the religious authorities of the day. He experienced loving people when he knew what was in their hearts. Tasting bereavement and loss, having false accusations made against him, being betrayed by his closest friends, being the victim of a miscarriage of justice and being executed like a common criminal when he'd done nothing wrong. Does that ring true to the troubles of our world today? You see, Jesus really did share our life and tasted our death. How can we say that God does not know our pain? He may not explain it, but he has come and stood alongside us, entered into it and shared it. He knows our pains. So that in our struggles, whatever we experience, we can know this. As the Bible writer to the Hebrews describes Jesus this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus lived and died, but the story doesn't end there. Jesus rose again and he ascended back into heaven. He has gone before us. He has made a way to heaven for us. He has gone to prepare a place for us. Isaiah's prophecy tells us in verses 10 to 12 what the outcome of Jesus giving his life as a sacrifice would be. Let me summarise it for us. It says Jesus would have many descendants those of us who trust in him. It says he would enjoy a long life, eternal life, never to die again. God's original plan would come to fruition in Jesus and that he would be satisfied that his sacrifice was worth it. That his experience would make many right with God because he carried their sins. That he would be honoured like a victorious soldier, or indeed the strong man of Lamentations 3, for all that he has done. Because he identified with us rebels, he carried our sins 
and he made our case before God. Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is the champion of heaven, the warrior king. His throne is established for all eternity. He deserves, and in heaven he receives, the highest praise and honour. And this gives us who put our trust in Jesus an eternal perspective. I think the challenge for many of us, though, is this, that the more comfortable our life here is, the less we think about heaven. That the more we buy into the illusion that we can fix this broken world, the less we think about the return of Jesus. It's a bit like living on a plane, I think, and having mountains in the distance. They look very nice and they're a great backdrop, but they seem a long way away. And the journey could be difficult and uncertain. And we don't know what it'll be like when we get there. The climb could be difficult too. And sometimes I think we can view heaven a bit like that. Yet perhaps heaven and the return of Jesus are subjects that should occupy and motivate us more than they do. Events like coronavirus, whatever else they are, are an uncomfortable reminder of reality. That the appearance we have of being in control is really an illusion. That death is actually real. And times like these test our faith. They expose what we really believe in our hearts as opposed to what we think we believe in our heads. They are perhaps moments of opportunity for us to realise that we have put our trust in things other than God. That maybe we have found our security in things that are not God. We may find security in our, our jobs. We may find it in our financial resources, our role in society, our, our, our future plans, whatever it is. And maybe these are moments of opportunity for us to repent, to turn around, to turn from putting our trust in this thing to putting our trust in God, to find our security in him and him alone. And that's where our eternal perspective comes from. Because, my friends, we have a God who finishes what he started. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He lived and died to share all that we experience. He rose again and ascended to make a way and to lead us back to heaven. And he promised that he'll come again. And when he comes again, yes, he will judge the earth. But for those of us who have put our trust in him, and that's open to all, he is going to put everything right. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, the Bible tells us. And there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things will be gone forever. Jesus rose and ascended to give us an eternal living hope. And that eternal living hope changes 
the here and now. Because we know that this is not it. This is not all there is. As Paul put it when he wrote to a church under pressure. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. What a perspective we have. Jesus came, Jesus lived and died, Jesus rose again. If that really is true, and I believe with all my heart it is, nothing can ever be the same again. So as I close, I want to invite you to make a response. I have three prayers that I invite you to pray as appropriate with me. Firstly this, the whole point of what Jesus did was so that we could know the reality and the presence of God. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, you can do that very simply right now. Just pray this prayer with me aloud if you're on your own or quietly in your heart if you're with others. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you left heaven and came to earth to find and rescue people. I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to pay for my wrongdoing and to make a way for a new start and a new life in you. Today, I'm putting my trust in you and what you have done. Please forgive me and make me new on the inside. Today, I turn around from my old way of living and I say that I want to follow you, Jesus, from this point onwards. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, then we'd love to know and we'd love to help you. So please get in touch with us. You can email at care at hopewinchester.org and then we'll be able to send you some helpful resources. For others of us this morning, I feel there are responses we can make. We have a God who came and who still comes. We can expect to encounter him in the circumstances of our lives, often and more especially in the challenging and difficult times. So let's do what that Bible verse said we can do, to come boldly to his throne and to find grace and mercy for our time of need. Maybe you're in need of grace and mercy today. Then join me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were obedient to the Father. You left your home in heaven and came to look for us and rescue us. Thank you that you took on our humanity and made your home among us. Thank you that you understand us from the inside out. Because of what you've done and because of your great promise, we come boldly now 
to bring you our personal situations, our cares, our concerns, and to ask for your presence with us and for your grace to help us. Now, just as we pause for a moment, just name before God the things that are on your heart where you need grace and help today. Father God, come near to us, strengthen us we pray by your Spirit, and help us with your grace and your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And finally, you know, we have a, a call as Christians to live as those who have an eternal destination and an eternal purpose. Maybe you need to refresh your perspective in these challenging times. If that's you, I invite you to pray along with me. Father, you are the only one who is utterly trustworthy and eternally faithful. Please forgive me where I've put my trust in other things that don't last. As this world is shaken, I affirm today that I put my trust in you. I say that you are my God. I recognize that my times are in your hand. Please fill me with your peace as I walk through these challenging days, because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.